What had happened was, a hundred years ago, Dayton shut its theaters, soda fountains, saloons, and pool rooms because of the Spanish influenza. Sound familiar, Dayton? Thanks for finding the What It Happened Was podcast. I'm Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com, and I have a crazy, fun, and interesting show for you today. The voice you just heard belongs to my buddy, Dayton Daily News photographer and reporter extraordinaire, Lisa Powell. Lisa has become a bit of a history writer in recent years, so it is no surprise that she dove deep into research about how life was led here in Dayton during the Spanish flu, which, as it turns out, had very little to do with Spain. This killer is being compared to the coronavirus pandemic, and as you all hear, there's very good reason for the comparison. Lisa worked with Dayton Daily News reporter Laura Bischoff and local historians to uncover the little-known story about how the Spanish flu shut down Dayton and other parts of the world. We talk about the Grim Reaper, why Vicks Vapor Rub was in short supply, a media blackout, and a local soldier who probably had his feel of cold, soft-boiled eggs. This special episode of the What It Happened Was podcast is brought to you by the Dayton Daily News, your trusted news source for more than 120 years. The newspaper was around roughly 20 years before the Spanish flu. Like and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and wherever else you find your favorite shows. Now, here's my chat with Lisa Powell. So, how's it going? Good, Amelia. How are you? I'm the dream in quarantine alley, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a tricky question these days. Yes, it is. How are you doing? Fine, I guess. (laughs) But... <laughs> like I just coughed just now. Like, is that it? Do I got to do? Whoa! Yeah, I think it is too. I, I've had a cold since 1975. Well, that is true. I've listened to you cough since since then. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> this is obviously not the first time we've been through this sort of thing. As a correct. And the one that everybody just kind of references is the Spanish flu of 1918. 1918 and 1919, yes. Like 50 million people died worldwide as a result. Now, you did a bunch of research on this for a story we have posted on Dayton Daily News and Dayton.com. Tell us the basics of what happened back in um, 1918 and 1919. The Spanish influenza, as they called it, sometimes they referred to it in newspapers as El Gripe. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly. It was G-R-I-P-P-E, which I think just meant the flu or something. But, yes, this flu, it's believed that it started out in March of 1918 at an army base in Kansas where 500 soldiers were hospitalized. And at the same time, it was World War One, so soldiers were mobilizing, which I think that helped spread the virus further around the world. It was really a devastating thing. 50 million people died worldwide. In the United States, 675,000 people died. And then in Dayton, there's like not a a sure number, but somewhere between like 500 and 675 folks died of like influenza or a related illness to the Spanish influenza. Why did they call it the Spanish flu if it started in Kansas? Tricky. I, I said that it was like World War One, And Spain at the time was neutral. There were wartime censors around the world suppressing the news and, and they suppressed the news because of wartime and they were trying to not affect morale. But in 
staying, since they were neutral, the media was free to report all the details of flu. So that's how it just became known as the Spanish influenza. But a funny little thing is that if you lived in Spain at the time, they believed the virus came from France. So there they were calling it the French flu. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And apparently in the United States, we called it the Spanish flu, and we also called it the Spanish lady. <laughs> so basically, it had nothing to do really with Spain at all, because the name implies that somehow Spain Correct. did this. Correct. Kind of like the, what does the president call it, the Chinese virus? Yeah. Yeah. When I was researching the story, I got to all our local history experts, you know, looking for photographs and trying to get details. and. It was amazing. Everyone would say, you know what? This is just like this crazy point in time that we don't have photographs and we just don't really know the history other than what we can read in old Dayton Daily News. And the archivist at the Dayton VA, her name's Tessa Kaltman, she's amazing. And she was the first person that said, hey, I think there was at this period of time a media blackout about the flu and that's why there's it's hard to find details about what happened locally and i had no idea wow so this was kind of going on and people couldn't get information like right now i think people are overloaded with information in a lot of respects 24 7 point news Mm -hmm. cycle but when this was going on they couldn't get anything right or very little and when i was going through all the dayton daily news articles for probably looked at like three months worth here and there and it's funny to see how the story was played it was very rarely on the front page like you know we see our newspaper now we have a big story every day or big story and some others uh on the front page just about what's going on but back then it would be like page 22 and a, a brief buried in the back it was so interesting this is how the news has changed too yeah in a hundred years what you did too is you came up with a gallery of old newspaper clippings which I mm-hmm. love that kind of stuff I really honestly love old newspapers yeah I, I love, do yeah I love I love <laughs> newspapers too because it keeps us employed but you know <laughs> but it's kind of awesome to go back and recount what happened during a time where you weren't even a, a glimmer or a glimpse where you call it <laughs> your sparkle in your dad's eye or whatever you call it <laughs> I don't know what the saying yeah. is <laughs> Or in our grandparents' eyes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, I don't, I don't know if my grandparents were born in, yeah, they weren't born in 1918, so I don't know. Yeah, your great-grandparents, but I guess. Yeah, so they uh, weren't in the glimpse of, yeah. yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. About that way. But anyway, I love old newspapers, and I know you do, too. You write these kind of stories. You specialize in them for Dayton Yelling News and Dayton.com, which I always appreciate. So what exactly was going on in Dayton, then, as far as you can tell? A lot of things were very similar to what we have going on now. Governor Cox, the founder of our newspaper, he was the governor at the time, and he sort of left it to local municipalities to decide how to handle it. And in Dayton, we had a health commissioner, and his name was A.O. Peters, and he is quoted quite a bit throughout all these stories. Just like today, sounds so familiar. He shut down the theaters, the soda fountains, the saloons, the pool rooms, schools, said it was just a good idea to stay home and social distance. That's what was going on then. The news media wasn't getting the information out. How do people even know that they couldn't do all these different things and that things were shut down? 
Did they take it seriously? I think that they did. I mean, we did have stories in the paper saying, quoting this health director and his advice to the city. And it, from what I can gather, it sounds like folks took it pretty seriously. What I learned from Brady Press at Beaten History was that a disease like this or self-sequestering was a very normal thing at the time, that people were used to fever and tuberculosis. So it was quite common for people to Ah. socially distance from themselves. And in fact, what he told me was that the city in uh, 1887, they built a quarantine hospital. And it was up on the hill. If you're over at Carillon Park now and up on the hill that sort of looks down below onto the Carillon and the park, that's where the quarantine hospital was. And they referred to it as the pest house or pestilence. Wow. So if if you lived in a home and, I don't know, you had a a family of six, but someone was ill, you know, they wanted to get away from their family members to keep from passing disease on, they would go and stay in the pest house. Or if the hospitals were had too many patients and they needed room, they would send them up to the pest house. And I guess, I'm trying to remember what Brady told me, I think there were room for maybe, you say 20 people maybe at a time that they could stay in there, and there was a woman and her family of six children ran the place and took care of all the patients that were there. When Carolyn opens again, you can actually still climb up that hill. Of course, the house is gone, but you can see like old stone steps that led up into it are still there in the hillside. It's a story for another day do. It's interesting, I thought. Yeah, it's totally interesting. So basically, whenever you have some sort of communicable, 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 is it communicable, communicable, <laughs> <laughs> whenever you have some kind of communicable disease, you just went to the pest house. Yeah, right. That and, is and wild. I know, yeah, and that it was just like kind of a natural thing, he said. People needed to get away from each other. So we don't even think in those sort of terms anymore as Americans, who I guess are spoiled. Another thing that I always love in the old newspapers are advertisements. There are so many ads for different kinds of remedies for this Spanish flu, and one of them was called Goody's. Pepto-mangan. It was billed as the red blood builder that would fortify your body against Spanish influenza. Oh, wow. (laughs) And then another one was called um, whole superlative compound, a root and bark remedy, rich in Peruvian bark that would break a fever if you took 20 drops of it every day. (laughs) (laughs) All these kind of crazy things in the paper. And you know how now you can't find toilet paper and pasta when you go to the stores. Apparently, 100 years ago, during the Spanish flu, everybody was hoarding Vicks Vapor Rub. Oh, really? That would would cure it. And there were shortages of Vicks Vapor Rub in the stores. Well, this is kind of akin to the whole, like, you go on Facebook, everybody's posting these, like, crazy things about, oh, you got to gargle with lemon or lime. I can't remember which one it is, but you got to gargle with lemon and lime. So it's kind of the same. Yeah. People trying to come up yeah. with remedies. Somebody was saying yeah. salt stops it, which is ridiculous because you know how much salt we have. They would just sprinkle salt on everybody. Oh. That was like, you're, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, you know what I mean? Like, when yeah. people believe these things, it's kind of like, if that were true, we wouldn't have a problem because we have plenty of lemons <laughs> and plenty of salt. <laughs> It's true. It's true. <laughs>
obviously everything shut down but everything came back is all coming back coming back to us now as it seems taking a break to remind you that you are listening to a what had happened was podcast and i'm amelia robinson this podcast is a service of dayton.com and the dayton daily news as our community and nation respond to the coronavirus threat, the Dayton Daily News is here, providing up-to-the-minute local coverage on our website and app, and going in-depth so you know what's really going on. Our news team is working around the clock to provide information you can trust to keep your family safe and connected. As a community, we may be hunkered down in our homes, but we are still Dayton strong. We have survived so much together, and we'll get through this crisis, too. The Dayton Daily News, your trusted source for local news. Do you get a sense of how long it took before life resumed? Well, I think it took a little while. It sounds like in January of 1919, kids started going back to school, and adults started returning to work. And this all started the previous October, right? Right, 1918. But I get the sense that there might have been sort of flare-ups. People would get sick again, and people would kind of go back to self-isolating. I believe, though, about mid-1919, things were, I guess you could say, sort of back to normal. I would say a good six months that it really kind of affected how the city ran and what people did. One of my favorite things looking through history is that there was like a tavern on every corner for every neighborhood, basically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, there was, and they all had to close down, just like <laughs> like now, just like now. Except there was no to go drinks, so I'm sure there was a lot of undercover kind of drinks that going on. <laughs> so this was just right before prohibition, too. You're right. I was talking to uh, Angie Holshauer at Woodland Cemetery, another amazing local historian and she could look up the burial records for Woodland and Cavalry Cemetery at the time and and I guess those two cemeteries were the largest in Dayton at the time. There were others but those were the big ones but she can like see each year how many people were buried in that year 1918 both cemeteries had a spike of uh, burials two to three hundred more people than in the previous years and then in the years following so she could kind of really see that number of most likely death caused by the Spanish flu. In the newspaper each day, they ran obituaries, but the headline, I kind of giggle about it now, it's dark humor, but the headline on the obituaries every day was called The Grim Reaper in the Miami Valley. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it listed he died. Oh, wow. Kind of crazy. But there's one, like, on October 3rd, a Ray Craw. He was only 23. He lived in Eaton, and he died on Joe Kaufman's farm of pneumonia following an attack by the Spanish influenza. Oh, wow. Yeah, one of the obits I found related to this. Yeah. And and the fact that the language was so dramatic, an attack by the Spanish influenza. Right, right. Wright State University, their special collections and archives, they sent me a diary of a man from New Carlisle. His name was Donald McKinney Wallace, who was a farmer, but he was in the Army and posted at the University of Cincinnati in the fall of 1918. So he, in his diary, he himself came down with the flu, as did other people around him. And his diary, he writes about it, and it's kind of interesting. 
he talks about how they had to kind of quarantine the barracks. And what they did was they just like hung blankets from wires across the links of the, of the building to try to separate the sick from the well. And when they would get so sick, they would bring them, of course, breakfast in the barracks. And he writes that it was, they got one cold soft boiled egg and lukewarm lukewarm coffee and then everyone had a drink of water but they shared the same glass oh my god yeah yeah right and then during the days they would try to wash their barracks the floors and the windows with with something called a creoline solution which i looked up as some sort of disinfectant and then they would leave the windows open and the temperature outside would be 46 degrees but they would leave all the windows open i guess trying to air out the place so they were freezing so it's kind of interesting to read a diary of how the spanish flu affected you know, a local man. Fortunately, he lived and was honorably discharged and recovered. So we have his diary to read about today. So anything else weird you found out? Well, Wright State University Special Collections and Archives sent me a photograph. And it is a picture of the Dayton Wright Airplane Company in 1918. It's kind of just a picture of the factory floor. But when you crop in really tight. You can see a a sign that they have posted behind a workbench. The sign says, if you don't want to close up the shop with an epidemic of Spanish influenza, quit bidding on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) So I I saw another picture that um, I think from a store picture from New York City at the time, and it was the same thing, a sign that says, stop bidding. So apparently... Bidding was a big deal back then. Well, well important, important stuff. <laughs> exactly. Well, apparently they had spittoons at every in the newsrooms at every desk. Apparently, and people chew tobacco <laughs> and like spit constantly and smoked everywhere. <laughs> oh my god! Gross. I can't imagine. It is gross. It is gross. Well, you just imagine uh-huh. a bunch of men, like, sitting around in a newsroom in particular, just spitting and smoking and with the legs propped up and just being nasty. Yes, probably <laughs> drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, drinking and spitting and <laughs> smoking. Yeah, yeah, thank goodness things have changed. <laughs> At least a little. Yeah, there's one thing I can't stand, and that is spitting. <laughs> Oh, I can't either. I hate it. I hate it. There's no reason that it should even be done. (laughs) But but apparently everybody was doing it. All of our ancestors were just spitting everywhere. Oh, my gosh. So so do you think there's anything besides, like, the scientific stuff? Like, the scientific community obviously has researched the Spanish flu and all the other pandemics and epidemics that have happened. But from the human sort of perspective, what do you think we can take from these incidents from our past? Well, it seems like what comes around goes around. There's so many similarities to the experience 100 years ago. Who would have thought social distancing was a thing? We just haven't had to do it in a 100 years, so it seems so foreign to us. So I think it's interesting that as there was a time that it was very common. I can't imagine having a, a quarantine house in the city now. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Was there anything else you wanted to say that I didn't ask you about? No, it's been a joy to be on your podcast. It's been a dream of mine for many years. 
first of all, high five. You know, I know you hate the high five. <laughs> I do hate the high five. <laughs> so you were social distancing before anybody else with no touching of hands. You know what? You are right. I was a, a front runner on that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're hilarious, by the way. <laughs> oh, girl. <laughs> Well, I will be very happy to lay eyes on you again. <laughs> Same here, girlfriend. Same here. Well, thanks for coming on, Lisa. I appreciate it. It was my pleasure. It really was. <laughs> <laughs> now, I told you Lisa was fun, and boy, am I happy that I can make her dreams come true. <laughs> hilarious. You can find her work on Dayton.com, DaytonDailyNews.com, and, of course, in the pages of the Dayton Daily News. I'll drop a link to the story Lisa and Laura did about the Spanish flu in the show's description. The What Happened Was podcast is written, recorded, and edited in our home office with my cuddly office buddy, Tigger, right by my side. Exactly the same as having Lisa, but he purrs. The show's artwork is by my good friend Troy Lyman of TL Creates of Columbus. Until next time, look out for each other, but stay six feet away. Bye-bye.